0: Hi, I'm Asha Tomlinson.
1: And I'm David Common.
0: And we're hosts of CBC Marketplace. We're award-winning investigative journalists that want to help you
2: avoid clever scams, unsafe products, and sketchy services.
3: Our TV show has been Canada's top investigative consumer watchdog for more than 50 years. But this is our first podcast.
2: CBC Marketplace podcast is available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This is a CBC Podcast. This Conservative Party no longer stands with Ukraine. They have an opportunity in just a few minutes, Mr. Speaker, to stand and vote in favour of a free trade deal that Volodymyr Zelensky himself is asking this House to pass and he is choosing to not stand with Ukraine, not stand with Ukrainians, and not stand with Ukrainian Canadians. Why are they abandoning Ukraine?
3: It's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking before the House of Commons passed a new Ukraine free trade deal this week. It passed despite conservative opposition. It's been almost two years since Russia invaded Ukraine, and a new poll from the Angus Reid Institute suggests that Canadian support for Ukraine has begun to fade. Shachi Curls, president of the Angus Reid Institute. Shachi, good morning.
0: Good morning, Matt.
3: Tell us what you've learned two years into this war. How do Canadians feel about supporting Ukraine in its fights against Russia?
0: Well, there is a level of disengagement that has come over two years in uh, May 22, uh, 2022, 20, so two, just, just a little under two years ago two-thirds of Canadians were following the conflict closely. They were very engaged. They were, they were really into it. Um, now we see that drop to less than half. Only about 45% say that they're following the situation closely, and we see that as a significant drop, not only in whole numbers, but across various aspects of the political spectrum, across all age demographics. People are just watching and listening and following less. To some extent, that's not surprising, mm. as, as this has unfortunately become part of the, the news background or the wallpaper if you will but it does have an impact on the extent to which um people feel like canada should continue to have a role and it could, should continue to keep trying to help ukraine
3: and that that, that is all forms of support for ukraine right
0: That's right. Um, When we look at even the question of is Canada currently fulfilling its obligations to Ukraine, so the things that have been promised, above and beyond the things that people say should be promised or should be given extra, what we find is those who are closely following are far more likely to say that Canada has not finished its obligations, is not fulfilling its obligations. Those who are more checked out, uh, following it less, much more likely to say, no, we've done enough.
3: How is this breaking down along political lines? Because what you found um, is different depending on which political party, or uh, w- yeah, which political party people might support.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let me give you the the overall number, and then I'll, I'll we'll get into the politics of it. When you look at the number of Canadians who say that Canada is not providing too much support to Ukraine, that's doubled from 13 to 25% over the last two years. Those who say we're doing too little has like commensurately fallen by half from 38 to 19%. But the real significant driver here does cut along political lines. So what you are seeing is there's um, a significant increase among all political uh, bases that say Canada's now doing too much, but it's an issue of proportionality. So what I mean by that, Matt, is you look at past liberal voters, those who voted liberal in 2021, the number of these folks saying that Canada's doing too much has doubled, but it's doubled from five to ten percent about the same number for past LDP voters. But among past Conservative voters, it's gone from 19% to 43%, more than doubled and doubled by a lot to now what represents a pretty significant portion of the Conservative votes.
3: Pierre Polyev, the uh, leader of the Conservative Party, uh, spoke about that in issues of, 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 of Ukraine, particularly in the House of Commons earlier this week. Have a listen to what Pierre Polyev said.
1: Prime Minister could not care less about... Ukraine or any of the other distractions he brings up. He does it because he knows he can't run on his miserable track record of doubling the cost of housing, sending 2 million, a record smashing 2 million people to food banks, quadrupling the carbon tax, and giving Halifax 30 homeless encampments. This kind of chaos and misery is a record no one wants.
3: Just before I let you go, Shachi, uh, the prime minister is being accused of using Ukraine as a tactic to distract from domestic issues. How how are issues like affordability impacting support for Ukraine?
0: You know, it's very much about the the argument from the conservatives that, well, we voted against that Ukraine free trade agreement uh, because we don't want to vote for anything to do with carbon taxation but I'll say this from a from a more analytical perspective. Uh, the Conservatives have had nothing but, you know, the last 18 months to really beat the Liberals with a cudgel over cost of living issues, over carbon taxation issues, uh, and without uh, having much to answer back for, because the Liberals have just not had much to get their hooks into uh, the Conservatives over in this political battle. This issue of, of the accusation of, of not supporting Ukraine, not standing up for a key ally is something that's now been handed to the liberals in order to beat the conservatives with will it be effective over the long term we'll see but it it gives the liberals an opportunity to go from playing defense to offense and we haven't seen that in a long
3: time all right we're going to talk more about that chachi thank you very much
0: all right thanks for having me
3: chachi curl president of the angus reed institute
0: hello i'm jess milton
3: We have convened our national affairs panel to talk further about how this and other issues are playing out politically. Stephanie Levitz is Deputy Ottawa Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Ryan Tumulty is a parliamentary reporter with the National Post. Good morning to you both. Good Good morning. morning. Stephanie, let's start with you. What do you make of the polling around support for Ukraine? Overall, as Shachi was saying, uh, it would appear that Canadian support for continuing uh, to to provide support to Ukraine is is waning, but this breaks down along political lines, she says.
2: I think there are a couple of things to unpack there. I mean, the the war for Canadians at home unless you have, you know, a family member serving in the military or you're intimately connected to to that element of our contribution to the conflict. It's a very existential issue. When the government talks about the need to support Ukraine, it's doing it in terms of international rule of order, democracy. <clears throat> you know the the strength of our allies supporting our allies that's all very existential stuff and it's hard for Canadians as it's always been hard for Canadians when we've been faced with contributing Um, on one side or another in a conflict around the world to to make it mean something to them. I don't mean to reduce this to a communications problem on the part of the government. Mm. It's just an existential very far thing away. If you flash back, Matt, and you think about, you know, the decade-long commitment of Canada in Afghanistan where we had hundreds, thousands of soldiers going daily um, to fight that battle, even then Canadians weren't really sure about why we were there. What are we doing? What is this all for? So when wars drag on, is this one does in a very faraway place, it's hard to maintain that connection for people um, writ large. With the conservatives, what's interesting there to me is the reflection of how much of the conservative landscape right now and, and currents of thought are sometimes driven by discourse in the United States. If you think about Tucker Carlson, the former Fox News host, um, who was up, you know, in Alberta a little while ago, thousands of people flocking to hear him speak. And the fact that he, for example, is a leading figure on the U.S. right who really opposes any continued U.S. involvement in Ukraine. And is now now in
3: Russia interviewing Vladimir Putin.
2: Exactly. Right. You have to wonder how much of that discourse is seeping in um, to the Canadian discourse, because people are getting their news from American sources. Everybody is siloed on the internet, and they're only seeing one point of view, and beginning to question, mm. perhaps legitimately, what are we doing there?
3: Brian, what do you make broadly of this? We'll get into some specifics in a moment. But if you take a look at the polling uh, that Angus Reed, the Angus Reid Institute has put out, and, and the way that it breaks down, what are you what are you thinking?
1: You know, I, I think Steph is definitely reading that that situation right. I think it's it's true that there is an influence of the, the discourse in America. You know, you're seeing right now in the U.S. Uh, Republican legislatures holding up, uh, despite a pretty big win for them on border security, holding up Ukraine funding. And I think a part of that is a reflection of their voters' reluctance to get involved in another foreign war. Um, and we've had, you know, at least in the U.S., we've had 20 years of foreign wars that don't end well. Um, and I think that seeps into the consciousness as well. Um, I think, you know, I know the the issue of this Ukraine free trade agreement uh, was not something that the um, – this was not a fight that the conservatives relished. Uh, they didn't want to necessarily – not everyone was on board with fighting over this carbon tax language. Um, I think it is something that's um, debated at least in their caucus, maybe not dividing the caucus but how, certainly how, debating it.
3: How big of an issue is it though? I mean Ukraine has a carbon – a price on carbon already. Um, the conservatives have said that the the liberals are trying to force a carbon tax onto the Ukrainians. There's a headline in one of the newspapers this morning saying that Pierre Polyev's carbon tax opposition is an embarrassment to his party on Ukraine. How big of an issue is this for the conservatives?
1: I think the carbon tax issue is so central to – The conservatives right now. It is so much about their brand. I mean, everything, every speech Pierre Polyev has given, I think, since and before he became leader was a pledge to uh, end that carbon tax. Uh, There are stuff that he doesn't talk about much anymore. He doesn't talk about COVID anymore. He doesn't talk about restrictions. He doesn't talk about foreign interference anymore. But Axe the Tax is a central part of his brand and his message. And I think for a lot of his voters, any sort of move that looks even a little bit like moving towards the center or moving away from that message would be seen as a betrayal. We don't talk about them very much anymore, but the People's Party of Canada and Maxime Bernier still exist. Mm. Um, and you know they took votes uh, that I think the conservatives believed to be theirs in the last election. And a big part of Pierre Polyev's success is taking liberal votes away from the liberals, uh, NDP votes away from them. But a not insignificant part of that is that the People's Party of Canada has been reduced to 2% or less in polling.
3: Stephanie, we saw the prime minister um, and Pierre Poilievre both come at swing on this issue. The prime minister asking why the conservatives, in his words, have abandoned Ukraine and Ukrainian Canadians. Uh, Shachikril was saying that this is... A bit of a cudgel for for the liberals in some ways. Do you see it like that? Does it give the liberals um, a party that polling would suggest uh, it has some work to do? Um, does it give them a bit of a bit of gas in the tank?
2: I mean, it certainly gives them something to push back on Pierre Polyev's Conservatives with. It's a bit more material than some of the other attacks they've been trying to lob across the floor. Mm. But again, it goes back to this question, Matt, of whether this is too existential to resonate for Canadians. Do they care? Um, You'd have to think that they do care. And I'll tell you why I think that. Inasmuch as the Conservatives have been very clear on their opposition to the carbon tax language in the free trade bill, it wasn't until very recently that they actually came up with a bit more of a policy on their their own on how to support Ukraine. They were ignoring that component of it, right? They were doing all the opposition, none of the proposition. And it seems to me the fact that they have now suggested, for example, their pitch right now is that we have thousands of decommissioned um, rockets that we ought to send abroad to Ukraine to support them. That Mm. must have been a reflection of some pushback internally and pushback among their base. Let's not forget as much as we talk about um, the various bits <clears throat> where the conservatives are trying to hoover up support, the vast majority of their existing base is in Western Canada, which is home to the largest Ukrainian diaspora in the world. There are voters who vote conservative, who want to vote conservative, who are absolutely raising their hands here and saying, hey, what are you doing? We need to show a bit more stronger support for Ukraine.
3: Ryan, this goes back just finally to what Steph was saying about the issue of, of, of whether this is on people's radar in some ways. Pierre Pralev has framed this as, in some ways, a cost of living issue. So many Canadians are experiencing that, that he says the prime minister is trying to distract from that issue to focus on that. What do you you make of that approach? Is that going to ring with people who are dealing with The interest rates are – people are waiting, you know, with bated breath for the interest rates to start to begin to fall. They're worried about their mortgages renewing. They're worried about paying the rent, what have you. Is that going to connect with those people?
1: I I think – I think it will be difficult to connect with those people on this issue. I, I think, you know, everyone pays more attention to their, their home front uh, than than problems are around the world. And that's has ever thus, uh, regardless of what the problem is around the world. I would say that um, I think, you know, the liberal belief at least is that these ac- – economic numbers are going to improve, that inflation is going to come down, uh, that housing is going to stabilize, that wages are going to rise, that we're not going to see a recession or mass unemployment, uh, that a year from now or 18 months from now, when we're actually fighting this election, the economy will be in much better shape. In that scenario, um, there is the opportunity for these other issues to be a bigger uh, concern. Uh, if you look back to 2015, um, you know, the economy was in reasonable shape, and I think that allowed uh, issues like the Syrian refugee crisis uh, to break into the mold a bit more. And, you know, it was unusual, I think, for something like the Syrian refugee crisis to be a factor in a Canadian election, but it was then. And I think it's – you know, it, it's all about um, – not just saying the right things, but saying the right things at the right time. Mm. Uh, Right now, talking about anything other than affordability, I think is not going to cut through. In 2025, in the fall, when Canadians go to the polls, uh, it could be different.
3: Let's talk about something else that Pierre Polyev was talking about yesterday. Um, And this is in the wake of Danielle Smith, the Premier of Alberta's uh, proposals on care for trans folk, particularly trans youth. Yesterday, Pierre Polyev says that he does not support Trans kids taking puberty blockers saying the decision to pursue transgender treatments should be reserved to adults alone. He also said that the federal government needs to, in his words, butt out of provincial health care. <clears throat> Ryan, what sort of line is he trying to walk here?
1: You know, I, I think he is probably, again, reading polling data here and probably speaking to his own base. We know that the the party... Uh, that he represents voted at its at its convention for policies quite similar to what Daniel Smith has brought in. Um, you know, I think he is also trying to move past this issue as quickly as possible. Uh, there were several days in a row where he clearly didn't want to talk about it. Um, he
3: instead he talked about how the prime minister was trying to, uh, and that the media was trying to spread disinformation about about this issue and was was turning the the, the questions back on the questioners.
1: Yeah, I mean, he took questions on this for about three days. And I don't think it was until yesterday that he actually, you know, engaged on the substance of the policy. Um, There were lots of, you know, back and forth with reporters. There was lots of suggestions that the prime ministers were trying to distract everyone. Um, You know, come back to that idea that the— that he's trying to say the right things and also at the right time, I think he's wagering that Canadians are much more concerned about the cost of groceries and their mortgage than they are about this issue right now. And so that is the message that he thinks he wins on and that is the message that he wants to talk about. I mean, he has boiled it down to four lines. It is ax the tax, build the homes, stop the crime, and fix the budget. Um, And I think he's going to talk about those things any chance he gets.
3: Stephanie, what do you make of this? To Ryan's point, um, Pierre Polyev, has not really engaged on this issue, but yesterday in a scrum uh, was asked repeatedly and and ultimately uh, w- said uh, that he does not support uh, trans kids taking puberty blockers. What sort of line do you think he's he's walking? And does this offer an opportunity to the liberals to try to frame him in a certain way?
2: So in one sense, again, I'm going to cast back for listeners to Andrew Scheer when he was leader of the Conservative Party and in the 2019 election. Um, And he was being asked like every single day for his positions on abortion and whether or not he would march in a gay pride parade. And he refused to answer. He would duck. He would dodge. He would weave. He just wouldn't be painted into that corner. And what happened was the questions never went away. There are lessons in that experience for politicians. When you're being asked for a position on something, perhaps the swiftest way to limit any damage if you don't want to be talking about that subject is, spoiler alert here, answer the question. Then it stops getting asked. Everybody knows your position. The debate can move on. Mm. I think, you know, with Mr. Polyup, I think as with every leader, I mean, we've not pummeled Justin Trudeau with questions on his personal position on puberty blockers for children. And perhaps that's because there remains a current of belief that within the conservative party are views and points of view that some people would object to as being anti-LGBTQ rights. And it's this constant pressure on that party to to lay out a position. Where do they stand on this? What does it mean to them to advocate for the rights of specific communities um, who are saying that these policies will in- endanger lives and, li- and-, and ruin kids? Um, I think it's you know fair game for a leader to take a position on that, but it's also a sensitive issue where there is division. Um, I would argue, but how to talk about it, how to handle it, how to have a mature conversation without coming off as transphobic. People worry about that. And and there's an element of that, too. It's very easy for opponents of Mr. Polyev to try and paint his party as transphobic. That puts the issue in a very sort of, you know, you either are or you're not category. That's tricky political territory for anybody.
3: The questions do you think will go away or, or is this going to continue?
2: There's a legitimate question for Mr. Polyev on the subject of where he sees the role of the state. And, you know, this is—the party does have a libertarian current in it. Mr. Polyev was very, very opposed, for example, to vaccine mandates. He introduced a private member's bill calling for medical freedom. People should have individual medical choice. He has restated that he believes that adults should be able to do whatever he want—whatever they want, sorry. Um, And this is about children. But it is, again, this line about how far would then he go as the federal government. Conversely, the ball is also in the liberal government's court. If they oppose this, as they say they do— Will they claw back health care transfer funding like they did with New Brunswick over abortion access?
3: We will be watching. Let's just spend the last few minutes talking about a healthcare issue. Yesterday, uh, the leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, said he put the prime minister on notice for failing to present a framework for pharmacare legislation. He's threatening to pull the NDP out of its supply and confidence deal if legislation is not tabled by the 1st of March. Stephanie, how serious of a threat is this?
2: Uh, Okay. So let's say he pulls out the supply and confidence agreement. It's been signaled by the liberal government that they would sort of shrug their shoulders and say, okay, good. We'll go back to how it was in previous minority governments on a case-by-case basis. So probably the bigger question is, is Jagmeet Singh prepared to pull down the government over this issue and vote non-confidence in them and trigger an election?
3: Ryan, is uh, Jagmeet Singh prepared to do that, do you think?
1: Uh, He doesn't share his innermost thoughts with me on this. I don't know. (laughs) Just checking. Uh, I think. I mean, I think that threat is about reminding people that he's there. Um, I think it is a question of you know that that deadline isn't new. That deadline is something that him and the liberals agreed to back in December when we missed the first deadline uh, for PharmaCare. I think the PharmaCare legislation is really interesting because. No one is talking about a fully funded PharmaCare program. You you hear both sides talk about it as though Canadians are going to have PharmaCare next year. They're not. Um, They're going to have the outline of what a PharmaCare program would look like. Um, And I think both – Uh, Parties intend to run on that in some way. So both parties are trying to shape a a pharmacare program uh, behind the scenes that they think they and more importantly their voters can live with. I think the liberals are probably trying to shape a pharmacare program that is uh, responsible um, financially in their mind that um, maybe doesn't cover absolutely every drug or absolutely every person, maybe keep some private plans in place, things like that. Uh, whereas the NDP have been really clear, what they are looking for is a universal, single payer pharmacare system, uh, which would be enormously expensive. You know, somewhere in the neighborhood of twelve or fourteen billion dollars a year. Mm. Um, so I think both sides of this are trying to shape um, what that debate will be like in the twenty twenty five election. I I don't. I think you know the NDP have gotten a lot out of this deal. Um, they haven't gotten as much credit as I know they want, but. Um, from the perspective of legislatures and and and, su- and their supporters, they have gotten dental care. They have gotten anti-scab legislation, which was voted down in parliament half a dozen times, um, including by the liberals uh, before it was recently introduced and passed. So, you know, they're getting policy wins that it's hard to imagine them getting in any other way but becoming government. And so far, Canadians have not thought that was a good idea.
3: Stephanie, it sounds like Perhaps we might see something, just very briefly, we might see something by the 1st of March.
2: It, it seems likely. I mean, framework legislation is not impossible mm-hmm. to draft quickly. And it's been in the works for a while. It is a condition of the deal. The Liberals also have signaled they don't want to go to an election. So finding a way to sort of at least keep the status quo for now is in their benefit.
3: Really glad to talk to you both as ever. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Matt. Bye.
3: Stephanie Levitt is the Toronto Star's Deputy Ottawa Bureau Chief. Ryan Tumulty is a parliamentary reporter with the National Post.